Um, so our sermon today, since today is the 4th of July, um, and I thought we need to have some fireworks, uh, we're going to talk about the sacrament. <laughs> and because, well actually that's not the reason, that's a poor attempt at a joke, but the reason is because we're having two baptisms and communion today, and we're having a sermon, and so in all reality, we are, and we had scripture reading, and so we are celebrating all three of the sacraments that Christ has given us. And so I, I just want to take a little bit of time to, to walk us through that. What does that mean? What does that look like? What, how does that affect our lives? What does it look like for me right now in America in 2021? So first off, uh, we're going to look at our worldviews. Because as I've spent time reading about, well, actually just reading history and interacting with um, historical figures and I've, I've been reading some of the church fathers and some of that stuff is just fascinating the way that they interact with the world. Um, it shows me that we don't interact with the world in 2021 like they interacted with the world closer to the time of Christ and so the, one, the 200s, the 300s. So with that, let's read Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20. And I read in Jesus' name. If you'd please rise out of honor of God's word, this is going to be our main text to start with. So this is talking about Jesus. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. That's found up on your screen. I guess I don't know the page number in your Bible, so I apologize. I read in Jesus' name. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him everything, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in on heaven or whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let us pray. Father, as we come to meditate upon these truths, Lord, your truths, the truths that you have given us, I pray that I would have the humility, Lord, to submit to your word, and that you, by your grace, would grant us the clarity of mind and thought. Lord, that we might understand what you have for us in your word. Bless us and guide us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, worldview. What is a worldview? Basically, it's just the way that you view the world. What is reality? How do you interact with it? And so, throughout history, and these are, these are broad brush strokes, so throughout history, within broad brushstrokes, there have been three different worldviews. The first one is called pre-modern. That was basically everything up until the Renaissance. And so at the Renaissance, the pre-modern worldview started to go away, and the modern worldview started to come about. And the modern worldview then existed from the Renaissance, well, probably up until the 1900s. And so at the beginning of the 1900s, we start to see this shift. And it was slow. It wasn't a fast shift. But it was a slow shift into what's called the postmodern worldview. And that's what we live in right now. 
And so you might be saying, okay, Joe, that sounds nice. I have no idea what in the world you're talking about. No problem. We're going to try to explain it. And I'm going to try to explain it using pictures. So the pre-modern worldview viewed the world like this. That there was a spiritual world, and this is actually the biblical worldview. This is the way that scripture presents the world. That there is a spiritual world, and within that spiritual world, there is also a material world. Because the spiritual world is bigger, is greater, is more encompassing than the material world. Because the spiritual world created, you know, God, who is spirit, created the material world. He spoke it into existence. There's angels, there's demons, there's things behind the material world. The material world isn't all that exists. And this is one of the reasons why there were so many superstitions going on in the ancient days. The, and these superstitions were everywhere, you know, throwing salt over your shoulder or making sure that um, you don't walk underneath ladders or break mirrors. Well, there, there's just all sorts of things. A black cat crosses your path, you know, why? Why did they have all of those superstitions? Because they were trying to appease the spiritual world. The spiritual world exists behind these things. And so these material manifestations, all of these material things in this world that we see, they're actually the spiritual world trying to communicate with us in some way or another. And so that was the, and so then you got all of these, um, like divination, astrology. Why did astrology, yeah, astrology, not astronomy. Astronomy is legitimate. Astrology is not. Um, just got to make sure that we got those right. Why did astrology exist? Because they were trying to divine. They were trying to figure out. They were trying to speak with the spirit behind all of these things to try to figure out what those spirits want of them. And this is what Christianity came into. And in Christianity, we're told, you know what? You don't need the entrails of a goat. You can talk directly to God through Jesus. You don't need to throw salt over your shoulder. You can come directly to God. You have power in the spiritual world in the name of Jesus. If you are in the name of Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of these things. If you are in the name of Jesus, these things don't have power over you. You should take them seriously. The devil is a roaring lion. But if you are in the name of Jesus, do not fear them. Christ has called you to go into this world and proclaim the truth. You are set free from that fear. You are set free from those superstitions. These are the powers of God. These are what God has given into this world. And so all of these promises of God, they exist within the pre-modern world in a way that they don't exist in the modern world because as the Renaissance came about, the Renaissance divided the spiritual and the material. And they said, well, we can't really know anything about the spiritual world, so we're going to focus on the material world. How many of you have ever read anything about alchemy? Any of you know anything about alchemy? A couple of you? Okay, good. Um, so then I can say almost whatever I want and you're going to believe me. No, I'm not going to go into all that. Uh, so what's the basis of alchemy? They were trying to change the spirit of the material world. And so they took this seriously. The alchemists took this worldview very seriously and they said so the material thing exists because of the spirit within it and so can we change the essence the spirit of lead and make it gold that's what they wanted to do can we take can we use something some material thing to have an effect on the material world to actually change the spiritual world because the first material thing has a spirit and the second material thing has a spirit and so can i 
combine these in such a way, can I combine these spirits in such a way as to create a new thing? So that's what the alchemists were trying to do. It's kind of wild because they had taken the, the pre-modern worldview to its completest degree, not understanding that that's not, that's not the way that God created the world to work. And so then, when that, as that failed, and as the Renaissance came about, and all of the stuff with the Renaissance, and all the learning, and the scientific revolution, they started saying, you know what? The material world and the spiritual world must not be connected. Because all of our alchemy, that stuff didn't work. It wasn't working. You know, Newton was an alchemist. And so as he, but then he moved away from that spiritual side and started to move towards the material side. And then they started to describe the world. And then they realized how to manipulate the world. The scientists started to learn how to manipulate the world. And that's why we actually have the world we have right now. That's why we have like watches on our wrists that are more powerful computers than we had back in the 80s. You know, isn't that amazing? This thing on my wrist can do way more than the school computer could do in the 80s. Why? And it's a little smaller. Yeah, the, those, yeah. And it's not green. Um, it's, it's full color. But why were we able to do that? Because we focused, our, the, the modern worldview simply focused on the material and it left behind the spiritual. And that material worldview was everything. That's the scientific, that's empiricism. What matters in, in the empirical model? What you can see, what you can taste, what you can touch. You know, our senses. This is what matters. The spiritual world, that's metaphysical. The spiritual world, that's not objective. We can't interact with that. And so we, can't, we don't know any truths in the material world or in the spiritual world is what the modernists said. And that messed up everything because then we lost the spiritual world. And even that has affected Christianity where there becomes this divide between the material and the spiritual. Well, God kind of does his own thing and we're kind of called to do our own thing. That's deism. Deism took that to its logical conclusion. Or maybe you can say agnosticism took it to its logical conclusion. Atheists are kind of arrogant liars. The agnostics, you know, like, we can't know anything, fine, no problem. Um, we're not going to interact with it. We're just going to interact with the material. The deists said, we know that some God exists, but he doesn't really interact with us anymore. And so that's the modern worldview taken to its logical extremes problem with the modern worldview is it ends up being empty because everybody knows that there's more. There is more. It's not just science because what are we? Science can't explain us. Some people think that science will be able to explain us, but we're too complicated. These things are too complicated. Darwinism <coughs> cannot explain the nature of reality because it's too complex. It's too big and it's too small, and it's too intricate, and all of these things are all working together all the time, and so there's this constant call, and we're told about it in the book of Ecclesiastes, that God has put eternity in our hearts. We know that there is more. So the modern worldview says the material is all that matters, but God has put in our hearts, there's more, and he's put in our hearts a desire to interact with the creator, with the creator. and so then we come to the postmodern worldview. So the postmodern worldview is the intermingling of these two. We're not back to a pre-modern worldview yet where there is spirit behind everything, but we are in this postmodern worldview where some things have spiritual power and some things don't. Now this is fascinating. 
Because this is the world we live in right now, and these people don't know what they're messing with. I was just listening to a lady talk about her ayahuasca experience. Ayahuasca is a hallucinogenic that's, I think she went down to Peru. And she was discussing this, and she was saying, Lady Ayahuasca is real. She came to me. She spoke with me. She took me on this journey. I went, and I went to the beyond. I went in the spiritual realm. I was, I was with, she was a soldier, and she was dealing with post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, and she, she said, I went, and I saw all of my friends, and they talked to me, and, and they gave me, and they gave her this great sense of peace and this great sense of joy that they're still alive, that they're still well, that they're still interacting with her. And I'm sitting there listening to this, and Jesus is not in this at all. The resurrection is not in this at all. Sin is not in this at all. Conversion is not in this at all. And so then I went back and I re-listened to some of the things that she'd said. She thinks that she had a spiritual experience. And she doesn't know what she's dealing with. She doesn't have any tools. She's not equipped. She doesn't have Jesus. She's, they're starting to enter. We're living in a world, and this is why this is so important. We're living in a world that's starting to try to interact with the spiritual world. Who's going to show up? Satan. And that's terrifying. They're going to start interacting with the demonic, thinking that they're interacting with the angelic. Because what does Satan reveal himself as? An angel of light. He's not going to reveal himself with his horns and his tail. He's going to reveal himself as someone nice and kind who just soothes all of their sadnesses. Because that's how it starts. And then it gets worse and worse until we get into things like the stuff that happened in the pre-modern world where you had human sacrifice, where you had child sacrifice, where you had gross immorality for the worship of the gods, where you had the gods demanding these things, where you had the gods demanding wars, where you had the gods demanding atrocities. This is what the gods demanded. Do we want to enter back into that? No. And so we need to know how to interact with these things. And so what has Christ given us? He has given us his word. And this is a glorious thing. God has given us his word. As Christians, we have the word of God to interact with the spiritual world. We can both know it and we can affect it through the word of God. Not by ourselves. It's not by our own power and piety, like Paul said. You know, how did you do these miracles? Paul said it's not, or it wasn't Paul, it was Peter. Peter and John healed the man that was at the beautiful gate. What did they say? It's not by our own power and piety. It's in the name of Jesus. So now we have the word of Christ. Romans 10, 5 through 17. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So first off, the word. What is the word? The word is that which has been given to us. Whoop, that's not the right. What does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth. Okay, so Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that a person who does the commandments shall live by them. Um, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. This has been given to us. This is the gift of God. It's not that we, not the humanity, has somehow searched these things out, somehow searched out the truths of God, the truths of the spiritual realm, the truths of the divine, and then revealed them. It's not that we have some guru sitting up somewhere figuring this stuff out, some philosopher pontificating about these things and then bringing them into the world. That's not how the Word of God works. This is the gift of God. It's not us going up. It's not us going down. It's not us going in. It's us receiving. God has given these things to us. The divine has interacted with us. God, God, the one who created all things, has interacted with us and given to us His Word, His truth. The truth about the world. The truth about ourselves. The truth about the spiritual realm. The truth about the material realm. He has given these things to us. This is the promise of God. We didn't have to go anywhere to get it. He has given it to us. And we are called to bring it into this world. But he is the one who has given it to us. So what does that mean? Faith. What do we do with it? Trust it. We trust the word of God. And it's like, but really, Joe? It's just the Bible. It's just the Bible. These are just words, right? No. This is where that pre-modern worldview comes in. These aren't just words. These are words that the Holy Spirit uses. The promise of the Holy Spirit that he uses these things. And that through words, words, crazy as that is, through his word, he changes hearts. He creates faith. He makes a new creation. <coughs> when, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did God, before Adam and Eve sinned, why did God tell Adam, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because on the day you eat of it, you shall die. Did they die physically on that day? No. Did they die? Yeah. Was it just the physical death that God was warning them about or was it a different death? So th there's a different death. There was a much more profound death. From that point on, creature was separated from creator. It was never supposed to happen. That was never God's intent. Creature was never supposed to be separated from creator. We we're always supposed to be in communion, in fellowship with God. That was God's intent. And so on the day that they ate of it, they were separated from God. They were separated from each other. You know, they had to cover themselves up so that, you know, Adam and Eve didn't see each other's nakedness and they had to cover themselves up so God didn't see their nakedness and so they hid from God. They were separated from God. The separation of their soul from their body, that was, that, that's an illustration of these things. The separation of husband and wife not being able to have perfect communion because of the sins within our lives. The separation of friend from friend because of the sins in our lives. Why can't we have perfect communion with people? Because we are dead. So what is faith? Faith is the resurrection. 
Faith is the communion with God. Faith is bringing these things back together. Faith is God changing the person. How does that happen? This comes through the word of God. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Because we believe in our hearts. Our hearts are changed and we confess with our mouths. Our actions are changed. Our lives are changed. Who we are is changed. That's faith. The change in heart and the change in word, the change in action, the change in being, how are those things brought about? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's the word of God then that has power in this world to change the very essence of a human being. That's a sacrament. That's an objective thing that Christ has given us. No matter what culture you're in, as you, if you have the Bible in your language, <coughs> you can read the Word of God. You can proclaim the truths of God. Do you have to understand it all for it to work? No. It's powerful even beyond your power. Do you have to always be eloquent in order for it to work? No, it's powerful beyond your power. Do you always have to be wise to make it work? No, because it, it's powerful. It's, it's powerful because of the work of the Holy Spirit, that pre-modern worldview. This, this is the material but it's the Holy Spirit then that embodies it. That it. It embodies the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses it in our lives. Does that make sense? This is what God is doing in this world. This is how God interacts with this world. This isn't just some words that exist out there. I was reading a systematic theology, systematic theology for my, um, what's it called? The last paper that you have to write. Thesis? Good grief. I can remember modern, world, postmodern, but I can't remember the word thesis. <sighs> Man. Pastor Moan, you should just come up here and finish this off. <laughs> or Dr. Moan. What would you rather be called? Jerry? <laughs> but I was reading a systematic theology, and, and in this systematic theology, he said, the word of God is truth, therefore all truth has the ability to change the soul. And it's like, no, that's, that, no, that's not right. And I never understood why that was wrong, but there was part of me that rebelled against that thought. It's like any truth can change the soul. It's like, no, not any truth. The truth of God can change the soul. This is what the alchemists were looking for. But they didn't understand what they were looking for. They didn't understand the real change in essence actually happens in a human being. Not in gold and lead. Not in the physical form. Not, you know, it doesn't make us live forever but it changes the essence of the person through the word of God. So then what are the other sacraments? How do those work? Well, in Titus, Titus 3, 4 through 7, the baptism. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what is this? But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to use an illustration. I've been hesitating to use it. And I've been trying to figure out a better one, but I really can't. Gun control. How many of you have any concepts about gun control? 
Any of you? There's or gun rights, maybe, would be another way to say that. You know, gun control and gun rights exist on opposite ends to some degree. So if there is a shooting, what killed that person? The, okay, so I've heard the other person. Did the gun also kill that person? No. Okay, so you say no. Did the gun play any part in the killing of that person? Yes, the gun did play a part. And so if we're thinking about this in terms of modernism, the gun, had, the gun played a part and the person played a part. If we think about this in terms of a pre-modern worldview, then the person, if we think about the person and the gun, the person used the gun to kill someone. And so we use this then in terms of analogy. Baptism, communion, the word of God. The spiritual uses the material. The gun is the material. The spiritual is the divine. That's the person. So the divine then uses the material world to change things the way that he wants things to be changed. Just like the shooter uses the gun to do the shooting, so also God uses baptism. So also God uses the word of God proclaimed or read. So also God uses communion. So it's God doing these things. I might be the physical here, but it's God doing these things. This is the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And note this, some people have accused me of saying, well, you, you can be saved by baptism, but you need Jesus. No, that's not what the Word of God says. So that by being justified, oh, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And so what, is, what does baptism do? Baptism is the connection with Christ. So as, as I baptize, note this, when we have the baptisms of Reagan and Nicholas, I'm going to use very specific words. I'm going to baptize in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? That I stand as a representative of Jesus. So in the book of Acts, when they baptize in the name of Jesus, what are they doing? They are standing as Jesus's, Je yep, that's the right way to say that, as Jesus's representatives. They are baptizing in Jesus' place. Jesus has ascended and he's called us then to do this work. So I baptize in the name of Jesus and I baptize into the name of the Father and into the name of the Son and into the name of the Holy Spirit. Because that Greek word is ace, right? Reverend Dr. Moan, in there in Matthew 28, the Greek word is ace, which means into. So we baptize them into the name of the Father. We baptize them into the name of the Son. And we baptize them into the name of the Holy Spirit. And so this baptism is bringing them into that relationship with God. That baptism is bringing, that, bringing them into Christ. Those are the words that I'm going to use. Why do I use those words? Because those are the words that Scripture uses. Romans 6 talks about those too, that too. Using that word into for don't you, don't you know. Um, it just pops out sometimes. I don't know why. Don't you know that <laughs> those of you who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. So what's, what thing is doing the work there? That preposition tells us the relationship between those two words. Baptism and death. Baptism and life. Baptism and Christ. Baptism and the Father. Baptism and the Son. And baptism and the Holy Spirit. 
The into shows that there's a change of position. Baptism, that's the verb. Into, changing the position with a noun. Baptized into the name of the Father. So now they are representatives of the Father. Now they are representatives of the Son. Now they are representatives of the Holy Spirit. Now they have a relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now they are called to be submitted to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all of that stuff that goes into the name, which is way bigger, and I'm not going to get into all of that. That's what's going on here, according to the hope of eternal life, according to the promise of God, through Jesus Christ our Savior. Communion. Well, this is remembrance, right? For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Oof, this has gotten long. I apologize. Um, that the Lord Jesus in the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Well, there's a lot there. Uh, I'm not going to get into all that. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread, you eat, you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um... I'm going to skip that. So, what are we doing? We are remembering. So when, think about the Jewish people in Egypt, separated from God. They were living in a pagan world, um, and they started to cry out to the Lord. What does God say he did? God remembered his people. What does that mean? Does that mean that God had forgotten them? No. That means that God wasn't visiting them. He wasn't providing, he was providing for them, but he wasn't visiting them. And so God then visited his people. So this biblical idea of remembrance actually isn't just a cognition, like, oh, I had forgotten that, you know, like forgetting about the cookies that Eileen had provided. I had forgotten about that, and so I remembered them. So then I said it. That's not, that's there, but it's bigger. It actually is speaking about this visitation. And so in communion, what are we doing? Why do we call it communion? Because we are then communing with the divine. God is, we are remembering God. He has given, and, and I don't know about you guys, it, you re- <laughs> we need to study our history more. <laughs> because in the pagan world, in the pre-modern world, all of the stuff that they did in order to get the gods to come to them, Nathaniel and I watched a really interesting documentary on voodoo down in Haiti. And those voodoo priests spent the entire day trying to communicate with the demonic in order to get their gods to visit them. That's what they were doing. They were drinking alcohol. They were smoking tobacco. Uh, they were putting themselves into this trance. They were dancing. They were, it, was, it was hot. They had these other herbs going on. And they were... They were um, chanting these songs. Why were they doing all of that? In order to have the opportunity to commune with their gods. You know what God has given us in communion? You know what God is telling us to do in communion? Remember him. He goes, I am here. In calling the Christians to remember Christ, he's saying, I am here. I am in communion. Come visit me. I am here. You don't have to divine God out. You don't have to go up or go down. I am here. Remember me. Come to me. That's what that means. 
God remembered his people and went to his people, delivered them. He said, now you remember me. Now you come to me. I'm offering myself to you. I am here. I am in my word. I am in baptism. I am in communion. Come remember me. This is the promise of God. This is what we do every, every time we commune. This is what we do every time we come to worship. Remember me. Come visit me. God is offering himself to us at all points. Think about that. Think of what God has done for us. So what do we do with all of that? We live it out. This world is not just a material world. This isn't just grape juice and, and bread. This isn't just water. This isn't just words. In one way, this is just water. But you combine that with the word of God, what do you have? You have baptism. That's just grape juice. But you combine that with the word of God, what do you have? Christ. Is it just grape juice? Yeah. Is it representational? Yeah. Is it more? Yeah. It's more. It's bigger. Is it just water? Yeah. Is it just washing? Yeah. But it's more. It's bigger. Is it just the word of God? Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. This is the word of God. Not just some word of some dead men long ago. These are the words of God. He is visiting you. Live it. Own it. This is truth. Truth in a way that our world cannot understand. This is truth that's bigger than any psychedelic experience. This is truth bigger than any demonic experience. This is truth bigger and greater and grander and better. I almost said gooder. (sighs) This is truth. We live it. This changes our lives. It changes our essence. This is what the alchemists were looking for. This is what the voodoo priests are looking for. This is what the psychedelic users are looking for. This is what our world needs. This is what we have. We live it. We participate in it. We don't seek their stuff. Just lead us astray. But this, this is infallible. It will never lead you astray. Praise God. This is what we're celebrating today as we worship Christ offering himself to us that we might come to visit him. Any questions? Live it. Because remember the Romans passage? I'm going to bring you back there real quick. Whoop, that's the wrong direction. Verse 10. For with the heart, your essence, your being, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. What does that mean? Live it. It's yours. Confess it. Like, well, I'm a Christian. I don't need to say anything. I'm a Christian. I don't need to do anything. I'm a Christian. I don't need to whatever. No. This tells you, if you're a Christian, live it. If you're not living it, it means there's something wrong. There's something wrong in your walk. It's like the corn plant that never produces an ear of corn. There's something wrong. If that's not being produced, come talk to me. We need to deal with these things. Because this is powerful to change you.
So you're called then to trust it, to live it. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for baptism. I thank you for communion. I thank you for these sacraments that you have given us. Lord, that, that you work through these things. Lord, you work through the material world and you affect the material world. And I thank you. Bless us now as we continue to remember these things and to meditate upon these things and to experience these things. Lord, that we get to see you work in a spiritual reality. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that the material world empowered by the spiritual world, does have effect on the spiritual world. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.